Welcome to the Fiction Holics, where two thriller authors reverse engineer thrillers from current events, review movies they like, and play the conspiracy game, a game show about oddball conspiracies and why North Dakota doesn't exist. Your first host is TJ McKay. He's the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. He'll show you who really runs the world, and it ain't pretty. Your second host is Michael Angel. He's the author of the Plague Walker Medical Series, which is also available on Amazon. When it comes to microscopic bugs that can kill you, he's your man. We're going to start off with the first segment of our show, where two authors reverse-engineer thrillers from current events. Welcome again to the Fictionholics podcast, the sweetest-smelling podcast in the world. I'm Michael Angel, and I'm here with TJ McKay. We're going to be discussing some hopefully crazy and interesting things and to entertain you. Well, I want to start off by actually just kind of ranting for a little bit. All right, I'll let you rant. Go ahead, I'll I'll let it. Listen, Amazon, I know that you have been knocking down both Michael Angel and myself, T.J. McKay, author of Lucky Links, The World Needs a Hero from Wall Street's Door, and doing everything you possibly can to convince us, persuade us, bribe us, cajole us into, you know, selling the rights to our book so you can um, make a major motion picture-like series on Prime Video of our books. And we're tired of that, aren't we? And I, you know, uh, like, uh, let me tell you something. My biggest concern is every time I go on Amazon and I have to reorder my, you know, Charmin toilet paper, you know, 12-pack, um... And I have to see a banner ad for my show. It's just not going to feel good. Okay? No, no, no. I'm with you there. It, no. You know, it's not going to feel good. And you know, every time I go and I have to, you know, spend on these uh, these overpriced Barbies for my daughters and these overpriced LOL dolls for my daughters, and see, you know, my own, um, you know, show, uh, you know, bastardized book into your show being monetized by you. You know, it's just kind of like, listen, I already got to deal with a dad paying for expensive girl toy gifts, okay? So to have you then suddenly, you know, be uh, marketing my show. Now, Netflix, you also have a problem with, okay? I know your business model. Every year you profit off of five shows, five, five new shows slash feature productions, and you have 500 works of garbage, Okay, listen, I in no way, green eggs and ham, 1,000%, will never accept any offer to be one of those 500 pieces of filth. And I'm I'm with you on that one. Absolutely yeah. with you on that one. Because you know what happens? When, when Amazon or Netflix comes in and does something like that, yeah. it's like... Like you lost your girlfriend, and then you see her going around town with somebody, some other guy. That's what it feels like. You want to break our hearts, Amazon? You want to break our hearts, Netflix? You want to break whatever it else is you guys like to break? Because you're going to do it. Yeah, and you know, I just want to say, never under any circumstances can you ever convince me to sell the rights to my stories to your garbage production studio companies to masquerade my pseudo fake characters that you stole from me. Unless you raise the bid by 5%. I would agree with that. It's got to be minimum 5, maybe 10, especially considering when you have a series and you have a couple of authors who could produce yet more for you. Remember, Netflix, I've seen your movies, I've seen your horror films and your thrillers. You're not paying more than 5 bucks. you got to raise your price here. 
Yeah, and back to what you were saying about the Fed, it's almost like every aspiring author now is going to have to sell out to one of these large production companies uh, to sell their soul for copyright because it's just like to be able to afford anything, that's just kind of how it's going to have to go moving forward. So That's true. And I remember, yeah. as we said before in other podcasts, we won't sell out, but if we do sell out, it ain't going to be cheap. You know, I mean, for what these uh, buyers at Netflix and Amazon would consider to be cheap, I mean, you know, I... I, I, I <laughs> well, the way uh, I figure no, it no, is no. they're so highly capitalized, and yet they churn out these movies that look like they've been filmed for about 25 bucks and maybe a few food stamps. You figure they've, they've got to be paying it to the writers or something somewhere. Yeah. One would I, like to think. I mean, they wouldn't just sit on it for matters of corporate greed, would they? Well, I think what they would do is, uh, you know... You settle on diesel or settle on 87 at the gas tank and uh, that'll be my payment. And I'll probably, you know what, throw in a few combos and a few uh, apple, apple, cherry, you know, you know, mixed pies for the long road ahead. And uh, I'll, I'll probably wind up taking it for my, you know, to sell the rights to my <laughs> well, stuff, just so. Just so you could sell it for a few extra Happy Meals maybe because I know you got kids, you know, so you got yeah. to keep them happy. Yeah, no, absolutely. So anyway. Welcome, Fictionaholics. Uh, Michael, how are you, sir? I'm doing really, really well, and we're trying out a brand new microphone, so this time I'm, I'm, I'm on the opposite side of where you heard me last time, so if you have a stereo system, no, don't worry about adjusting it. I'm not on the wrong side. I'm just positioned a little bit differently here. You'll have to let us know, folks, whether you like what we do, whether you like the microphone we're using, and if you don't, well, we'll, we'll do the best we can unless you send us lots of money to buy a better one. Listen, while you were... Uh saying that i actually just did the numbers again you know netflix i actually will need actually an additional five to ten percent on top of that i can see uh some of the other uh absolutely trash horrible uh pieces of work that you have actually bid for and all i can say is your vulnerability with how bad your business model is and the fact that you're about to fall uh off the cliff crash into that uh iceberg that's looming and becoming ever more visible is very apparent now all I got to say to you, Netflix, is uh, you should have kept the rights to Friends, Seinfeld, and <laughs> and The Office, okay? Not Pers- my problem. Now, personally, okay? I, think, I think they got those to begin with because they happened to come in at just the right time yeah. where the major network studios didn't realize the power of streaming and what they had. Because if you notice, all these guys are trying to claw their rights yeah. back to their own libraries, which is why we have five or six versions yeah. of Netflix out there. We have Disney. We've got... Uh, well, I know CBS tried it for a while. Oh, and that kind my of kid... My kid has me uh, ha- ha- has me signing up for a free trial of Paramount Plus now. I'm like, what the heck is on Paramount Plus? And of course, they got to watch the old SpongeBob movie. Oh, God. But I don't know what the hell else... Like, what is even as synonymous with Paramount now where I'd be like, oh, God, I cannot wait to pay the, you know, to shell. I mean, you know, at least with Apple TV, I've got Ted Lasso, which is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> you know what I mean? With Disney Plus, I have The Mandalorian, you know. All, I, you know. I have a question about yeah. Disney Plus, too. And I, I want to know, what is the secret power behind understanding how this works? Because you have it. You've got kids. And... Explain to me how is it you pay for this service, but yet if there's a new movie out, say like Mulan or some of the other ones, you have to pay an additional 30 bucks on top of that. I mean, the purpose of getting away from the movie theater was not to pay the movie theater prices, right? Now it seems like they're, oh no, we were just kidding you. You need the service and that. Can you explain to me how is this really work? Or do you think there's some deeper, darker secret behind all this? 
So I think what is probably happening is for the longest period of time, the secret ingredient to perform mind control in the masses was the extra butter placed in popcorn at the theater. You know, that would explain a lot. Yeah, now the fact that we are not going to theaters, or, you know, at least most people, they no longer have that power over us. Now, mean, now you know what it could be. I've always yeah. thought it's the butter, because, you know, that's that's not really butter. It's some synthetic, yeah. man-made ingredient, probably made from minerals, right. or some crushed petroleum product, added to to make it more susceptible for you to be wooed by subliminal advertising. I'll tell you right now, I still have nightmares over the, let's go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby. You know, that... That's a very, very yeah. sinister undertones to that, yeah. that that jingle. Either the butter or the fact that you had your undivided attention fully comprehending a, you know, <laughs> you know, a, a 50 by 40 foot screen. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was the butter that was performing mind control. Well, they no longer have that mind control now. So the question is, is. What else can they do? Yeah, I guess you're right. I suppose that could be it. You know what we'll have to yeah. watch out for? And this is like a free public service announcement for all our listeners. Keep an eye on all those microwave popcorn things. If they start shifting the butter recipe into something else, you know they're trying to get that mind control chemical back into us. Plus, you know, they've, they've got our full eye. I mean, Disney Plus's model is... I equate it to McDonald's with breakfast. Did you notice that... For the longest time, McDonald's was the only fast food joint that actually sold breakfast. Then about five years ago, like Taco Bell has like these, you know, cinnamon with egg, you know, <laughs> churros. And, yeah, you know, everybody like, exploded everybody, into the breakfast menu. Yeah, yeah, it's like suddenly they realized that breakfast was a meal, right? Yes. You know, it's kind of like Disney's been sitting on all the most valuable real estate for years. Like, oh, wait, we can do this. <laughs> You know, now, 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 you know. There's only one problem with all this, yeah. and that is that the, the the thing with the butter and now with the bread. This belongs in in the conspiracy game section of our show. <laughs> we gravely apologize for being out of order in the sequence of our show. Well, we can always bring uh, it back, and we'll let our, okay. our we'll let our our overlord uh, narrator uh, throw out a few Rothschilds Rothschilds for us for you new listeners. Uh, the third part of our show, where we discuss some of our pet conspiracy theories, gets graded on a scale of one to five Rothschilds. Yes. Speaking of which, we actually do have a couple of interesting topic, uh, interesting news stories to talk about this week. Now, now listen, people, just stop paying attention to any or all the news that you've been, uh, you know, that that you've been diving into, <laughs> diving into. We're, I, I should have seen that one coming. We're literally going to dive into something much deeper here. I I need to have like a rim shot device for that one, but don't. <laughs> You know, we need that effect on this, and I think I also need to splurge and get the wah, wah, wah effect, you know, for some of our punchlines. We're working on it, people. We're working on it. All right. We've got an article here where there's a scuba diver who found, a scuba instructor, excuse me, who found a phone and a wallet in a reservoir that was lost two years earlier. Now, you have to understand, he had... TJ here has some French-Canadian blood. I, I have some, some New York Mafia blood in, in me, personally. And uh, my dad being Italian and all, and, and, and I remember growing up as a kid in New Jersey, and uh, you know it was very interesting because people would always ask me if my father was part of the Mafia. And I always had to say no because, you know, technically I guess he was, but he didn't want to kill anybody, so he never got past middle management. And uh, the worst part was, of course, being growing up in Italian, the first phrase you learn is, I am a legitimate businessman. 
and that works for you. So my first thought here is that this was like some old mob hit. Somebody killed someone, dumped him in there, the catfish ate him, did a little spin feeding and ate him up, and all that's left two years later is his wallet and his phone. That's it. It was just a mob hit, and you could take it from there where the school instructor finds out, oh, I gotta know more about this poor guy who got hit by the mob, and that leads him into a treacherous underground of something something going there. Maybe we could even connect it. He found out this guy was like one of the mules that helped bring people across Canada into that library. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I hope that we, if that is the case, I hope that we're that... Uh, divers scuba diving is far away from the u.s canadian border or else that would be one cold dive anyway um well if you have a wetsuit you could do it could yeah so all right you're just being pleasant so here is where i would take this to make this a really good thriller okay because this is actually a very good setup so essentially what looks to be a simple innocent feel-good story on the surface of you know a diver finding his wallet you know a couple years later and getting into the news ha 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 okay great actually winds up being the greatest simple stakeout of all time where the diver puts down his wallet and what's in the wallet a recording device under where an, an immense amount of mafia-related activity, which obviously Michael can speak to much more than I can, as he just alluded to. I um, am a legitimate businessman. Okay, so where all the business took place underwater when certain deals went awry... Went down? Went down. Guess what? Guess what recorded it? And the evidence from that led to the capture and imprisonment of many malicious actors over time so what seems like a feel-good story actually wanted being a hell of a stakeout i like that idea that one now here's my second possibility and and this one kind of follows in the your typical family will trust pass down my wealth is essentially a guy goes crazy he doesn't trust the government he doesn't trust the banking system which doesn't really seem too crazy anymore these days but back on point and he basically hides his wealth, and in his wallet, not only does he have, you know, I mean, I, you know, cash would get a little soggy, but maybe he's got some cards that age well. I don't know, and uh, maybe some passwords to some uh, Bitcoin or Safe Moon. Moon. I know, like accounts. that. Very relevant. Very, to- very yeah. topical. Yeah, and he basically figures, okay, his daughters know where to go and access the family fortune if something ever happens to him, right? Now, what happens is two years later, his daughter, his his uh, his daughter gets a, a full four year scholarship, or his daughter happens to marry some you know millionaire. And he says, you know what? Okay, it's not yours. It's mine. Boom, got it. Oh, and he gets a feel good story written in the paper that he happened to find this wallet two years later. I like it. It kind of ties it all up. Yeah. Kind of a feel good story. I think we have something here. Yeah. I think we have something here. Do we dive too deep? No, I don't think I think I don't think you can dive too deep with a story like this. You can only go as low as the bottom. All right, another one here we have for you. Here we want to talk about, and that is, Florida police eject a trespassing alligator from a mall. Okay, now I have a question for this before we even get to a conspiracy theory here, which is, how is this even a headline? I mean, they find alligators in Florida. They find them on golf courses. They find them in parking lots. They find them in swimming pools. It's not that much of a stretch for them to be found in a mall. 
You know that there's a gentleman in Pennsylvania, you guys can look this up, that actually has a pet alligator as a, what do you call it, when, when, when you, as a, oh, as a uh, companion animal? Yeah. As a licensed companion animal. So can you imagine walking into, like, let's say a diner or any establishment and seeing somebody with an alligator on a leash? That's what this looks like. So yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I don't see how this is a story. I guess it depends for the for your your scenarios. How big is the alligator? Because if it, the, sharks and alligators, if they're over three feet, they're a problem. Yeah. All right. So is this alligator to be big enough to wear a collar? Would this be like one the size of uh, of, of of a cat, or we're we talking about an alligator the size of a, of a Volkswagen VW bus? So you know what's actually interesting about that, and this creates a very good potential horror thriller. Is um, apparently what happens is. Many people would go down to certain countries, they would come back, and they would bring a baby alligator as a souvenir. And this actually does take place. This a live one, baby alligator. Live baby alligator. Not like a stuffed one. or. Right. So, you know, you put it in your suitcase, you put it through, you know, you know, you, like, you know, you go through TSA, they're sitting there looking for razors, they see an alligator in there, they don't really care, you know, what's more We've dangerous. We've seen worse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so you get back home and you put, but what happens is, I think it's something like on the third month, the alligator goes from being, you know, a foot to three feet. And then like on suddenly the sixth month, it goes to being seven feet. So what happens is is people start getting scared and they flush them down the toilet after like the second month because they can see it making that big. I was going to say, because if it was three feet long, good good luck getting that down the toilet unless you shoved it head first like a plunger. Right. So that's the reason why there's so many alligators in the sewers. But the question is, is how cool would it be a horror movie? Where basically every time someone had to go to the John, it kind of came out. You see, uh, I don't know. We can do something with this. I think so. Now, yeah. here, here's my thought on yeah. it. Leaving aside from the fact that setting it in Florida, that's too. Yeah, come on, that's man bites dog. You want dog bites man. Yeah. So you want to move this from Florida to some other state that you don't yeah. expect to find alligators somewhere. Yeah. I think the story you could probably parallel, except make it better. In the 90s, I believe it was, there was a very mediocre alligator movie, giant alligator movie called Lake Placid. Mm. Now, they moved it to Vermont, Wilds, Vermont, and there was never an explanation how the alligator got there. You could do something like that where you have an alligator that gets flushed into the system, survives down there. You know, the classic would be New York and it eats all like the hot dogs and the the nuclear waste and everything down there becomes 20 feet long. Yeah. But then you'd have something that pops out of the toilet, gets people, or shows up for the climax in the middle yeah. of the shopping mall. Something like that. Yeah. No, I could see that. You know, one other way to take this, so there, there are two different angles. One is to do a reverse, because like you said, this is a bit antiquated and a bit generic. Do the reverse. Um, no one is really impressed with the fact that an alligator shows up at a mall in Florida, but people would be very, very impressed if a human being showed up in a swamp full of alligators and got on camera. That could be an angle. Um, I just don't think it would last that long. <laughs> By the way, has anybody ever asked? They have all these different uh, deep sea diving tours where you can go and, uh, you know, in like Australia and South Africa and be absolutely harassed 
by a great white shark yep. and you're sitting there in a cage. Yep. Why have they not done something in the Florida Everglades? First of all, be a way of a closer and cheaper plane ticket. Yes. And two, I would just be kind of cool sitting there getting attacked by an alligator in the swamp. Where yeah, they can like cage. hand you like chicken legs. You can push the chicken legs to the bars be... to keep the alligators busy while they're chomping on the bars. Yeah. You know, maybe they don't do it. I, I'm not checked, but maybe alligators have a stronger bite force than great white sharks so they could probably get their way through the cage. Or if they could... That is a possibility. They could probably crunch the cage up so that they could get Oh, keep in mind, too, they have, paw- they have arms and hands. And That's paws. true. That's true. A shark does not have those. Yeah, so... I figured they could crunch the, sh- the, the thing down so that they might not get you by biting you, but it would yeah. crunch it enough where you would turn it into a, basically a Krispy Kreme that's been liquefied. It's right through the grate. You know... It'd be like the garlic when you put garlic in a garlic press. If I was going to go out, I, I I don't think I would want my ashes or remains to be compared to a jelly-filled donut. Um, I guess it kind of is what we are at the end of the day. We are all kind of jelly-filled donuts, but the... I think but, that's that's the most profound bit of wisdom yeah, we're going to get on this show. Yeah. So, anyway, you know what? I've got some more theories, but uh, yeah, we gave you enough to work with. Somebody please start that Everglades alligator dunk tank business i think that can really work i have several people i know who i'd volunteer to show up well you know what there are are many people that i would actually volunteer that they would have to be the person in the cage (laughs) to volunteer you better get in there (laughs) (laughs) or who i would love to especially half the politicians running this country oh god that's right no i tell you what you volunteer half the politicians (laughs) in the country i'll volunteer the other half of the politicians (laughs) in the country how about that you're going to the cage (laughs) And you know what? If they survive, yeah, okay, they can stay in office. They've done something cool. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when Vladimir Putin was uh, wrestling the bear. Everyone thought it was a joke. It's like, no, you have to understand. you got to show that you are worth all this hoopla that we give you. And, you know, the paycheck and, uh, you know, private jets and the palaces and the unlimited time on TV and worshipping like a god and listening to all your dogma. The least you can do is, is fight a friggin' bear. Heck okay? yeah. Heck yeah. So, you know, get in that damn alligator cage and let's have one of you guys write a thriller about it. So Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, do we have any, any other uh, stories on deck here? I'm trying to take a look here. Not in the deck. So let's talk a little about our next part of the show. All right, the next segment of the show, we're going to talk about a thriller movie or a book that these guys liked. Or maybe one of them liked it, one of them hated it. Maybe they both hated it. Or they even both hated liking it. You, you never know. But you get the idea. Take it away, guys. In the next part, we will usually talk about either movies or books we want to review. And this time around, I want to kind of get into TJ's work. He recently had a thriller out. It's mostly slotted as a techno-thriller, but I would call it a techno-thriller slash financial thriller there's angles of both it's in his new book is called lucky links it's out on amazon hey amazon if you're listening it, it would be primed to turn into a uh, movie and everything if you can get him to sell out it's not going to be you know that easy the more he says he doesn't the more he really wants it so just fyi but this is a book that i could probably describe as the wolf of wall street meets batman I mean, there's some crazy cool stuff in this. So let me start by asking you this. If you were going to liken this to a film, it could be Wall of Wall Street, it could be Batman, it could be something else. What would you liken it to? What would you use the experience of reading the book? What would you liken it to? Mr. Robot meets Batman. 
Now, Mr. That's, Robot, if they don't know, that's an awesome series. Yeah. Mr. Ro- Mr. Robot. I think it's actually, on Amazon, I think. Yeah, it was directed by Sam Esmail. The main character is, our, is our Remy... Uh, Malik, I think? Remy Malik, who also was the lead in the Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. Excellent job, great movie. Yeah, so... And he is going to be the lead villain, I believe, yes. in the upcoming Bond flick, yeah. No Time to Die. And man, he looks cool. <laughs> Does and and so so that's really what the genesis of the book is. It's it's a cyber criminal trained as a ninja, awkward, quiet personality, getting indoctrinated into the dark underworld deep state that really controls everything behind the scenes. He's like a hacker that gets so, turned into Walter White by the end. Yeah, essentially, and one who knocks. Yeah, so you know if if you guys like. Uh, you know, Wall Street Day, financial thrillers, if you like action, espionage, combined techno thrillers, cybersecurity, it's, it's uh, really up your, your alley. Now, let, so. me ask you, let me ask you this. We'll try to do this without too many spoilers here, folks, because yeah, it's a good book. But let me start off by asking you this, is that, you know, Lucky, Lucky is the handle for our main character. Uh, yeah. It starts out his name being Thomas or T and everything. Is what really, sh- what do you think is the thing that really shapes him into becoming... A petty cyber criminal that eventually gets recruited to go take down Wall Street. What, what was the formative experience he had to make him do that? You know, like like Bruce Wayne. His big thing was he saw his parents get murdered in, in front of him in an alleyway, right? So similar to Bruce Wayne, this was a breakup of the family where the where the protagonist grows up worshiping and also fearing his father. And then suddenly the family gets broken up when the father betrays the family in a very deceptive, belligerent, malignant way that most people would find to be just very disturbing. And that's really what wakes this person up. So it's that personal betrayal that is the trigger here. So Now his father has connections with Wall Street and what happens later in the book, am I correct? Yeah, the father is actually a main player in the Wall Street scene. He's a titan in act. Actually, uh, it sets the groundwork for many different things that take place later in the book, connecting Wall Street to the deep state power of, of a political control. Let me ask you this. Ron, Ronald, the uh, father in this, who has a, some parts in this book, you get to see him in action a couple of times, he is stone cold, and he's probably my, one of my favorite characters. I mean, he is he's something else. What drives him? I mean, if you can say it without too many spoilers, what is the thing that drives Ron to do the things that he does? Is it just pure ambition? Is there a larger motivation at work or can we talk about that? Yeah, so without getting into too much detail, I think what it all comes down to is a quest for power and a quest to uphold the order, meaning the tradition, the way things have always been done. So let's maintain order, let's maintain tradition, let's maintain the power structure it cannot be questioned. This is how it is. This is how it always will be. Now, isn't it true, though, that just like T, isn't Ron an outsider as well? He is an outsider who essentially is trying to gain access and trying to gain the ability to assimilate and the respect and the validation from the powers that be to be an insider. Hey, you still listening? That's good. Because now you're in for a treat. Because next up, is The Conspiracy Game. I'm your host, James Manganello. I'll be awarding the value of their statements on a scale of one to five Rothschilds. Whoever has the most points at the end of the evening gets bragging rights and a warm case of Schlitz. 
Gentlemen, inhale those jet chemtrails and get out your flat earth maps because it's conspiracy time. Into the conspiracy game here, I, we're going to be throwing around some of our private conspiracy theories and see what the other person thinks. Okay, we live in Stetson territory. We live fairly close. Tinfoil Stetsons, they're the crazy awesome. and awesome and coming for you. I'm telling you, if you think that's a great theme song, then let us know. We'll change the name of the show and we'll get his kids to sing it. <sighs> Oh, they will. They will. Matter of fact, we will actually give you the bonus video where they do sing in the back of my car. Oh, we need to do that. Am I going to put together a Patreon page, maybe? What do you think? I mean, listen, you start contributing to us on Patreon, we'll pretty much do anything on camera, you know, and uh, hey, you pay worry. us. You pay hey. us to fly out. We'll go dance. We'll dance at your wedding. We might have some of the sparkling vodka. I can absolutely assure you that it will not be too much. Not wedding levels, okay? That requires, like, the ultra Patreon uh, membership. Uh, so we will talk about those packages on another episode. Well, get back to what we're talking about then. Uh, the conspiracy theory I want to buy Tom, here is this. We, are with, we live within driving distance of the San Antonio Riverwalk. Now, for those of you who don't know, San Antonio, big, big city in Texas, has probably the best public works I've ever seen turning basically just water reclamation or a water tree, water canal site into a world-class um, <clears throat> world-class attraction filled with shops down there. You can take boats down, kind of like in Venice. They just basically double the size of the canals and lose all the gondolas, okay? Now, here's something I learned that was very interesting. Once a year, they drain the canals out at the Riverwalk and they find dozens of cell phones, watches, uh, you know, keys, things like that. They find those in there and they have to scoop them out to clean the place out. This tells me very obviously there is a cryptid living in those canals. There is a something in there that's eating people. It's digesting only the organic matter because you'll notice only the metallic stuff is left behind. Now, to my knowledge, there is no named cryptid in there, but there needs to be one. I, I, I'm thinking of naming it something like Tony or, or Antonio, or, or, or something to that effect. I like Tony. It sounds friendly. But obviously, there is something in those canals, because otherwise, why would you have all those things in there? That was so ridiculous. I hate myself for even liking it. But I'll give you five Rothschilds. Okay, I'm taking this in two different directions. Direction one is in ancient... In the samurai period in ancient Japan, it's very common, and you can actually see this testament in, in the Seven Samurai. It was common that once you once a human hit age 70, guess what? Shebang. You're going to the cliff. It's your time. You're so you were, were you voluntold? You were, you were voluntold. Age 70, sorry. See ya, okay? <laughs> kind of like the one-child policy, but in reverse. Let's think about, you know, Benjamin Button style, okay? You're gone. So, I mean, what's taking place right now? You know, you have two options. You have people, you know, getting their parents on a plane and putting them in some retirement home in Florida. Or they're coming down to San Antonio in droves. They're, you know, stuffing their faces with margaritas and chips and guac and, you know, uh, you know a 32-ounce overpriced uh, beer as the 105-degree humidity, you know, scorches on their face. And then they're taking their, you know, parents on one of these gondolas on the river walk and they never see him again. So I think it's a perfectly orchestrated plot where they simply cannot afford the retirement home.
Horrible. Ugh. I'd give you a D on a good day. I'll give you three Rothschilds anyway. Now, the second direction that I would take it is this. Has anybody here ever been to Scotland? I love Scotland. I think Edinburgh is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Here's the reality. I'm also one of the suckers that paid the, the several 150 uh, U.S. to get on some you know bus to go three hours each way up to Loch Ness next to Inverness on the way northern part of the country to go see, you know, the, you know, furry, squaggly, <laughs> you know, a smiley dragon. And guess what? I didn't see him. Nope. Okay. Nessie's very now, reclusive. Now, with Nessie, okay, they get you up there. You wound up forking over a ton in haggis, in fish and chips, in, you know, actual, you know, you know, scotch samples, which I love. You pay for the mountains. Like, you go up there for the dragon... And, you know, you wind up, like, just, you know, stuffing your face with greasy food. And, you know, you come back with a stomach ache and a coronary. It works. It's a good formula. So I think that as the river walk is, is kind of losing its popularity, it's kind of like, okay, you know what? It's a freaking river with, you know, a couple of TGI Fridays type places <laughs> and some cheap block. You know what? We need a freaking Nessie North American equivalent to spice things up. That is so ridiculous. Two Rothschilds for you. Didn't they have a program called Logan's Run where they executed you when you turned 40 or something like that? It'd be kind of like that except when you're 70. No, this would be like Soylent Green maybe. Oh. When you're 70, except except instead of feeding feeding people to themselves. Remember yeah. the whole, it's people. It's yeah. a madhouse, a madhouse. It'd be more along the lines of just, well, you know, Social Security is getting out of control and all the rest. That could be it. How else do we combat Social Security not going bankrupt? Easy, not having to use it. If you're if you are getting close to seventy, beware if there's a Riverwalk attraction opening up near you. Anybody who is getting close to seventy would probably be listening to this and saying, "I'm never going to listen to these guys again." I'm going to make sure that I go on Amazon to give them give them an infinite amount of terrible reviews for both their books. <laughs> After what they're saying about me, but uh, we I mean, love you. We love you, seniors. We're not saying we want this to happen. But seriously, what do you think is going on? I mean, I gave you my theories. I just think I think it's a cryptid. I think what yeah. happened is we have an yeah. opportunistic predator that has moved in. Okay. Yeah. Now, whether or not they're actually sacrificing anybody to this thing, and by the way, you could take it kind of a urban version of Children of the Corn. You know, where the kids kill off the adults by pushing them into the canal and have the creature eat them. You know, we call it he who swims between the rows or something like that. Okay, that'd be a great Stephen King thing. But I think it's probably an opportunistic predator. And given the modern day we live in, if they ever turn this into a movie, you'd have to add an environmental angle. Well, it's global warming, industrial pollution, chase this poor creature out of where it used to live, where we just eat alligators in Florida and chase them into shopping malls. And, and instead, it had to move over here and start eating people. That's where I think we would go. All right, all I got to say is, what the hell was that? I'm giving you one Rothschilds for that one. This kind of ties into the alligator being discovered in the Florida mall story earlier. It's kind of like all you have to do is walk into your average mall these days and look around and you'll see why a good percentage of the population frankly should be eaten by whether it's cryptid, whether it's an alligator. I mean... <laughs> I'm it, trying it, to it, argue it, against it, this. It, 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 it's... <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you for your turn on the conspiracy thing, unless you want me to throw another one out. I, I will uh, throw one out. This is a good one. So, the rise in popularity 
of salmon sushi. Now we all know that salmon has been amongst the most prominent uh, types of sushi that has been on the menu for many, many years, but now suddenly it has taken off way more so than tuna, way more so than yellowtail, way more so than uchi, and you know, all this other stuff. So the question is, is why, Michael? Well, if I had to guess, um, there's one or two possibilities here. You know, the Japanese, as you know, the, the, their culture, they will catch pretty much anything around the home islands and bring it home and turn it into sushi. They even had whale sushi way back in the day before it was illegal, that kind of thing, right? So maybe they're just branching out and realizing, well, we got to import fish from somewhere and what's inexpensive and doesn't have too many bones and it's really easy. Well, salmon makes, you know, perfect sense. A possibility number two is... You know with the current crush of people loving sushi all over the world, there is a shortage of sushi chefs. In the olden days, remember, it would take like 10 years for you just to learn how to make the rice. Then it'd be five more years for you to work your way up to learn to cut up different kinds of fish because it's difficult getting the right touch, right? But salmon, and I know this because you and I have cooked it, we've grilled it, we've fried it, we've done so many things, is one of the easiest fish in the world to bone. You just pull the spine out, there's very little in the way of extraneous bone. So this is a reaction to Japan running out of qualified sushi chefs. They've got to move to simpler fish to butcher. That's it. That was so awful. But I'm not going to kick somebody when they're already down. One Roth child. Okay. Now here's, I think, what is really going on. Oh, oh okay. So, I think this has to do with insanely high levels. Salmon ha ha happens to have very high levels of both uh, mercury and magnesium. And those are extremely detrimental long-term if consumed by one, pregnant woman, and two, males. So essentially, what I'm trying to say is that this is nothing more than just pure population control. Pretty weak sauce. I'll award that to Rothschilds. Population control. You mean eating the salmon sushi will reduce your fertility level? Yes, essentially. The heavy metals, basically? So, you know, it's kind of like if I'm walking past you on the street and I put out a magnet and you're, you know, coming toward me, it's most likely because you're eating way too much salmon. And, so, where, and where is this? Where is the magnetic file? Where are they building up in the system exactly? Ooh, now this is, this is of course, is coming from the author of medical thrillers toward the uh, techno uh, thriller, uh, put, get it, cornering me and putting me out of my loop. But all I can say, though, is this, as an answer, is that we know that Cryptid, the uh, San Antonio Riverwalk monster, Tony. Is, Tony is controlling the population in his own unique way, and this is simply a way for, you know, uh, those uh, forward and propagating... Uh, salmon sushi to uh, control the population. So that is that is really what this is. You know, I mean, if they wanted to uh, produce uh, more people, they would obviously, you know, give us, uh, you know, um, kale and uh, cage-free chicken. But instead, no, we're getting salmon. We're so getting salmon sushi. I, I it is. got something yeah. to it. A quick check of our sticky notes, and it looks like we have a tie. Looks like you could both get to share in the bragging rights and split a warm case of Schlitz beer. That's all for tonight, and thanks for listening to The Fiction Horlocks. TJ McKay is the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. Michael Angel is the author of the Plague Walker medical thriller series, which is also available on Amazon. This most excellent narration was done by me, James Manganiello, and you can find more of my voiceover work at irefusetoquit.podomatic.com. Oh, 
And if you have a question and you've always wondered about something or not quite tame conspiracy theory that you'd like us to discuss, please drop us a line at thefictionholics at gmail.com.